From the hallowed hallways of Shed High School, from WSHDLP Eastport, this is Round the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane from Eastport, Maine. Stay tuned for historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world. Greetings and good wishes, dear listeners. I'm Rusty. And I'm Rex. And uh, we're just relaxing here on Planet Kingsley X-10 home base as we prepare for our next assignment. Yes, we've been voluntold that we'll be conducting another anthropological study on planet Earth. That's right. Uh, Specifically, this time, we'll be studying the highly peculiar Earth institution called marriage. Mostly defined as where two people have an exclusive partnership, supposedly for life. We hope to figure out what makes Earthlings want to get married in the first place. And once they're locked in, uh, do they accrue any benefits? Yeah, and, and what are the pitfalls? But before we blast off for Earth, we intend to scrutinize whatever raw source materials we can get our hands on, which includes this here stack of 78 RPM records. We've got our notebooks handy, and we'll be jotting down any scientific observations and hypotheses we have about important cultural clues. Ready, Rusty? All right, we hear first from T. Texas Tyler, the man with a million friends, with his 1953 plea, Let's Get Married. Let's get married, what you say, let's don't waste another day. I want to love you like I've loved you in my dreams. Two can live just as cheap as one, and I hear tell it's a lot more fun. Let's build a bungalow and raise us a baseball team. Now, I ain't much on looks, I know, and I ain't all broke out with dough, but my feet are warm, and I don't snore, and I love you like you've never been loved before. Let's get married, sweetie pie, you're the apple of my eye, be my honey, bunny, be my baby doll. you say let's don't waste another day i want to love you like i've loved you in my dreams who can love just as cheap as one and i hear tell it's a lot more fun let's build a bungalow and raise us a baseball team I don't snore, and I love you like you've never been loved before. Let's get married, sweetie pie. You're the apple of my eye. Be my honey. 
funny Be my baby doll Everything is ready for the wedding The choir's been rehearsing for a week The minister is standing in the pulpit But the groom, it seems, is playing hide-and-seek And here I'm standing, waiting, starry-eyed When will I ever get to be a bride? I wanna get married I wanna get I long to be knotted and see my friends potted. I want to be confettied and right. They say that married life is what one makes it. I'm sure I've got what it takes, but no one takes it. I want to get Crawl into a shell I want to start cooing And spend my life doing Those things that mom and pop used to spell Give me a cottage small Where the railroad never stops I want to sleep in pajama tops I want to get We started our research of the Earth Institution of Wedlock with a couple of courtship songs in which one prospective partner tries to convince the other that a marriage alliance would be a good thing. Yeah, and, and, and I'm writing down our observations in my official Planet Kingsley X-10 lab notebook. We just heard Gertrude Nielsen in 1944 avow that she wants to get married. And before her, T. Texas Tyler, the man with a million friends, said... Let's get married in 1953. Now, now, Rusty, I would say they both communicate a sense of urgency. Uh, yes, Rex, the marriage state seems to have an irresistible allure 
during the human mating season, which, by the way, doesn't appear to correspond to any particular time of the Earth year. We have yet to unlock the mystery of how the marriage urge is triggered in individual Earthlings. Yes, Rex, it almost seems asynchronous with any external stimuli. Now let's hear from someone who's not in their mating season. Here, here's a recording by someone who does not seem to revere and desire a marriage alliance at this time. That's right, Rex. Hobo Jack Turner from 1930 claims he doesn't want to get married. Nobody could call me a sheep I don't wear Fifth Avenue clothing Sometimes I don't shave for a week But I've had some very good chances To settle right down and get hooked But I know if I ever get married Why, buddy, my goose would be cooked I don't want to get married, I'd rather stay single for life. I don't want to be tied to a joint and nagging old wife. I won't give up my freedom for nothing but worry and strife. I don't want to get married, I'd rather stay single for life. When I'm all dressed up, I'm a cuckoo, I cut a smart figure and dash. There's nothing I worry about much Outside of me needing some cash I've turned down a very swell widow She was wealthy but there was a hitch When I thought it over I figured I'd rather be single than rich I don't want to get married I don't know why I should win. I don't want to hear church bells and then start to wish I was dead. Why should I be a husband and then have to work for my wife? I don't want to get married. I'd rather stay single for life. I don't want to get married. I'd rather keep bumming my way. I've seen enough of the ball and chain to last me many a day. I've been asked to do labor by many a hard-hearted wife. So I don't want to get married. I'd rather stay single for life. You are loving and kind, Marianne, but I changed my mind. You are loving and kind, Marian, but I changed my mind. I can see we'll never agree, girl. You are too trifling for me. I can see 
We'll never agree this is a life of adversity. America, yet all you does is to eat and sleep, get dolled up and walk both the streets, I can see, we'll never agree, girl, you are too trifling for me, I can see, we'll never agree, this is a life of adversity. If we get drunk, who would lock the door? I can see. We'll never agree, girl, you are too trifling for me. I can see. We'll never agree, this is a life of adversity. Surprise, Marianne, when I black your eyes From the day you marry to me You are depending on my salary I can see We'll never agree, girl You are too trifling for me I can see We'll never agree This is a life of adversity Okay, that was two fellows who are not interested in getting married. So, gee, Rusty, the, the desire for matrimony, which seems overwhelming to some Earth humans, is completely absent in others. Well, it sounds like Wilmouth Houdini, who was backed up by his 1940 Royal Calypso Orchestra, thinks his girlfriend is too trifling. And before that, Hobo Jack Turner said he didn't want to get married because he doesn't like being bossed around. Uh, which is probably why he's a hobo. I think these two gentlemen are just not in their mating season, and in the face of pressure from others to get hitched, they develop various rationalizations for not getting married. Uh, let me make a note of that hypothesis. Now, let's hear from someone who's already married and says he made the right decision. Okay, Rex, we have a 1908 marriage description from Billy Murray. I'm glad I'm married. i 
friend of mine once said to me, why don't you take a wife? You'll never know true happiness till you try married life. I found a girl and bought the ring, got married right away. I wouldn't change my place with any single man today. I'm glad I married. My wife is a dream. Mends my clothes and treats me right. Let me stay out late at night. Don't have to sneak home or tell her where I was. She just says, good evening, dear. That was Billy Murray in 1908, saying he's glad he got married. It seems strange that the Earth Institution called marriage allows the man to go out carousing if he wants, while the woman has to basically stay home and keep his dinner warm. Well, remember Rex, planet Kingsley X-10, where we are located, is 100 light years from Earth, and who knows, the, the women may have revolted by now. Next, I think we should research what earthlings do when their prospective spouse is already married. I believe the whole point is that in that case they'd be out of luck and best look elsewhere. Though not all earth dwellers color within the lines. Case in point, Floyd Dixon with Johnny Moore's three 1950 blazers will tell about a married woman. Married woman, she's 
one moment no good But I don't blame you, Daddy I'd be the same if I could songs dealing with the problems inherent in pursuing a partner who is already spoken for. Floyd Dixon wants to fight it out and steal the married woman away from his best friend. His recital was backed up by Johnny Moore's three 1950 Blazers. Then Helen Hunt and the 1937 Night Owls lamented being on the outside looking in in Married Man Blues. Yes, it's not a happy situation. It appears humans on Earth sometimes seem to be driven by hidden forces that are not always in their best interests. So, so Rusty, uh, perhaps marriage provides for basic needs while keeping people from getting into mischief and causing societal chaos. Well, Walter Brown and his brown bombers would agree with that assessment. He's going to get married, so he doesn't wind up six feet under for playing around with other men's wives. Going strong. 
heard Walter Brown and his Brown Bombers. I'm going to get married. Hmm. So a possible motivation for getting married, you won't get bumped off by the spouses of your paramours. Yeah, and you have to go get your own squeeze and stick to them. Then we also heard Wynoni Harris with the 1952 Todd Rhodes Orchestra. Married women, stay married. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We are broadcasting from Planet Kingsley X-10 home base where Rex and I, uh, two anthropologists specializing in the planet Earth, have been tasked with studying the curious and strange Earth institution called marriage. Now, Rusty, it, it seems like the definition of marriage varies widely depending on what year or what location you happen to be in. That's right, Rex. Some places on Earth allow multiple wives or multiple husbands. But the 78 RPM study materials we are dealing with here seem focused on monogamy. Okay, well, we heard some courtship records and some songs about not wanting to get married and some songs about the perils of adultery. How about some happy, well-adjusted marriage songs? Coming right up, we have here Ray Norton with Ruby Newman and his 1938 orchestra, I Married an Angel.
sure that the change will be awfully good for me. Have you heard an angel I married? To heaven she's carried this fellow with a kiss. She is sweet and gentle, so it isn't strange. When I'm sentimental, she loves me like an angel. Now you've heard I married an angel. This beautiful change will be awfully good for me. Oh, 
Happy marriages. Ray Norton told us he married an angel. He was aided by Ruby Newman and his orchestra, upon which the Chicago Five helped Tampa Red extol his happily married state. Both those from 1938. Those two recordings seem to be good examples of the uh, phenomenon called the honeymoon period. Oh, that's right, Rex. Our studies have shown that marriage can present some pretty steep challenges to earthlings. It reminds me of a giant deburring machine where the two people get worn down over time but eventually start to mesh smoothly. Uh, yes, but it appears to be for the stability of their society as a whole. So now let's study some recordings of people who are having a difficult time adjusting to the state of wedlock. Here is Oscar Ford in 1929 with Married Life Blues. I took a notion a few years ago that I'd start out in life. The first thing I thought that I'd have to have was me a pretty wife. I had to long time love sick blue. We're around nowhere now, we're honeymoon. We're out in Arkansas. When I got back to my old hometown, I met my mother-in-law. I had to disappointed blues. Finally, we started out to keep in house, started out with a goodwill. I got drunk and lost my job, and I couldn't pay the grocery bill. I had to alcoholic blues. Then my wife, she got mad with me, also my mother-in-law. The neighbors all said from the first parade, I thought we started war. I had to hand back to some blue. Then I got to laying out late, didn't come home till three. My wife was standing in the door with a rolling pin for me. I had two cheeks and Maggie Blue. Then she sued me for divorce and alimony too. I didn't have but 15 cents and I didn't know what to do. I had to separation blue. Found me another little girl named Julianne. The second time I took her out, I met the Q Club clan. I had the blue, 
Billy dig me for a ride, tied me with a rope. Every time they dust my pants, you'd see a cloud of smoke. I had the blue, Lord, Lord, Lord. Married Woman's Boogie from 1950. That was Billy Wright, Prince of the Blues, who was struggling with the adjustment period of his marriage. And before that, Oscar Ford gave us the 1929 Married Life Blues, which underscores that not everyone necessarily has what it takes to be married. Uh, yes, Rusty. Uh, let me make a note of that in my official Planet Kingsley X-10 lab notebook. These observations will be invaluable when we blast off for our Earth field research. And looking over our 78 RPM raw source materials, I see those examples are not the only ones expressing wedlock regret. Uh, yes, Rex, as a matter of fact, little Jimmy Dickens is here with another marital lament. He says, Then I had to turn around and get married. At the age of 21, I was having lots of fun. I was free as a birdie's in the tree. 
Now I wish that I was dead I should be shot in the head Cause a woman threw the love hook over me Then I had to turn around And get married, oh Lord What came over me I got a ball and chain In exchange for my name And a mother-in-law to keep me company Oh, I held her by the hand When we met that preacher man And he said that we'd be one from this day hence And until the end of time I'll still hold her hand in mine But believe me, it is just in self-defense Yes, I had to turn around And get married, oh Lord What came over me I got a ball and chain in exchange for my name and a mother-in-law to keep me company. When I give her my command, pour hot water in that pan. My wife does as she's told Yeah, she listens to my wishes Cause I hate to do the dishes And the laundry if the gosh darn water's cold Yes, I had to turn around And get married, oh Lord What came over me I got a ball and chain In exchange for my name And a mother-in-law to keep me company Feller, take that second look, wiggle off that woman's hook. If she gives you the come on, don't pursue her. Once a gal did that to me, now she'll never set me free. And I worship the ground that's coming to her. Oh, I had to turn around and get married, oh Lord, what came over me. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here to join in wedlock. This man, I am this. As I was walking down the street, a friend I chanced to see who said he had a girl for him and another one for me. He took me out to meet her, and much to my surprise, oh, I discovered up. Right before my eyes, oh, I discovered up, right before my eyes. I turned around and tried to run, but twas to no avail. She had me in a headlock, I thought my heart would trail. This is what I hollered at her as I struggled to get away. Let go of me, you, or they'll be to pay. I kicked her in her ugly face and headed for the door. But then she hit me from behind and I recall no more. Till I heard the preacher say to me as I came back to life. Now get out of here with that. I declare you man and wife. I took my bride on home with me to shore to the folks. They looked at me with a silly grin. Surely our son jokes. It's true I said that we are wed. Folks, what have you to say? Get out of here with that. 
I lived on in wedlock, a victim of my fate. Many's the time I tried to run, but alas, it was too late. Because one day she said to me, look what I have for you, a bouncing baby. Just listen to him coo. The moral of the story is, if a friend gets you a date, then turn and run the other way before it is too late. You're trapped before you know it, not for better, but for worse. I know because I married up, nothing could be worse. That was Cactus Pryor in his Prickly Pears, describing an unsuccessful 1951 arranged marriage in I Married the Thing. Before him, little Jimmy Dickens was kicking himself in Then I Had to Turn Around and Get Married. Well, Rusty, we have time for just two more 78 RPM study records before we blast off to study Earth in person. And we have an interesting case study here involving a marriage alliance with the financial benefit of a steady career with plenty of fringe benefits. Frank Crummett from 1925. I married the bootlegger's daughter. I'm eating the very best people And moving in 
night the Mexican consul is bathing the tonsil with the bootlegger's daughter and me. Rusty and Rex polish off their preliminary research with a happy Grandpa Jones and his grandchildren. Grandpa's getting married again in 1950, before which Frank Crummett married the bootlegger's daughter in 1925, with many pecuniary benefits and gainful employment. And this concludes the musical portion of Round the World today. We wish a safe trip to anthropologists Rusty and Rex as they blast off for planet Earth to conduct their field study of the strange and weird institution of marriage. They did as much upfront research as they could ahead of time by listening to 78 RPM recordings about wedlock. They learned that stable marriage prevents death and personal injury due to jealous rampages and alleviates loneliness, but can pose a challenging living environment until the spouses get used to each other, a process that may take decades. This is Round the World. Please scrutinize us at cracklinjane.com. 
We pause now for station identification. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. And welcome, dear friends, to Hour 2 of Round the World with Cracklin' Jane. Speaking of matrimonial bliss, here's an interesting time capsule from just after World War II when returning service folks were getting hitched in droves. A radio program called Bride and Groom, which ran from 1945 to 1950, in which an engaged couple would be married offstage during the broadcast and receive fabulous prizes from show sponsors. Here is the episode from March 14, 1946. From Hollywood, we present... Bride and Groom. With your master of ceremonies, John Nelson. Thank you and good afternoon and greetings from bride and groom coming to you from the famous Chapman Park Hotel, set in a really beautiful floral garden on Wilshire Boulevard here in California. It's really a magnificent day for a wedding outside. The warm California sun is really smiling on our lovely bride-to-be and her handsome groom, who will be actually married during this broadcast and tell you the story of their romance. You know, we also have some questions that were submitted here. I think that, I don't know whether these are the best ones. You know that for the questions used on the program, the ones we actually discuss, we give prizes of beautiful Holly Vogue nylon stockings. The lady seemed to like them. Here are three questions. I just wonder, do you think these would be good to discuss? Here's one from a lady who says, I am young, a single girl just fresh from the West. How does one go about meeting one of the so-called Hollywood wolves? <laughs> it's a strange request. And here's one from a lady who says, how long should a couple be married before the bride lets the groom know that she is the boss? <laughs> Don't know. And one last question says that, would like to find a man around 50 with a home to marry my sister so I could live them with them. <laughs> you know, you learn more strange things in a time like this. Right now, as we do every day, we introduce to you our beautiful young bride, her very handsome groom. Here comes a bride and groom. They're not married now, but they will be soon. Here comes a bride and groom on their way. She's a beautiful girl, isn't he? A very handsome young man. Yes, you bet they are. He's as pretty as can be. And what's your name? Edna Gatling. Edna Gatling? Yes. You have a slight accent. What is it? Um, I'm English. Oh! <laughs> well, I don't speak English, so I wouldn't know. Uh, and your name, sir? John Dilly. John Dilly? Right. I'm also John. John Nelson, in case you wanted. Uh, well, that's enough. Now we've been introduced. Would you tell me a little bit about yourself, Miss Gatling? Oh, I was born in London, and I went to school there until I was 14 years old. And uh, I left school then and went to work because the war was on. Yes, as almost all of you did over there. Yes, and I went to work right up until the time I came overseas. Yes. How long ago did you come over here? To I have been here a month and two days. Oh, goodness, you're a veteran over here, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Nearly. Well, you live in, lived in London all the time? Yes, when you yes, yes, all my life. Yes, and how, old, how long have you, have you been around? I'm 18. 18, well, that's a long time, naturally. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly for a world traveler, that's a good ripe age. John, tell me a little bit about yourself, if you will, please. Oh, I was born in Los Angeles. I moved to Glendale when I was three years old, and I've been there ever since. Went to school in, uh, at Hoover High School, Glendale. That's a plug. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's some other Hooverites here. <laughs> and uh, I went in the Army when I was 18. I was in the Army for three years, and I was overseas for about a year. 
In England? You're now 21. That's right. Yes. You've got some combat stars in European theater. And what? One, two, three, four. What is that? An air medal with four, yes, four oak leaf clusters. There is really a decorated young man. John, we better explain what you are and what you did to earn those things. You are a sergeant? Yes, a tech sergeant. In the United States Army Air Forces? That's right. And what did you do? What was your duty? Well, I was a flight engineer. And believe me, anybody who's flown knows how important <laughs> that is. Well, that's well. You saw quite a bit of action, and, and uh, I think we're a little bit uh, pretty well acquainted. Do you have any brothers or sisters, young lady? Yes, I have a brother older than myself, and I have a baby sister, two years old. And your family still lives in London? Yes, they all live there. Fine. Well, now, I'd like to uh, get into the story, if you don't mind, the, the little love story that sort of begins over in London and winds up here. Would you mind telling us a little bit about it? Where did you meet John, for example? Uh, I met him when we were in the pictures one night. You mean you went, you went to a movie together? Oh, no. I went to a movie by myself, and he went to a movie by himself. <laughs> Does that answer your question, Mr. Nelson? Yes. <laughs> no, tell what, How did this happen, John? What? Well, uh, they were showing a newsreel and uh, showed some pieces of Montgomery. Who, uh, is that General what? Montgomery. Yeah, oh, I see. Montgomery. And, uh... <laughs> well, he loves him. <laughs> he doesn't like him very much. No. Does he? Oh, I don't know what you're mad at. <laughs> well, uh, all the English people were. Hooray in for him and all that, and all the Yanks in there were laughing, so I was laughing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've got the start of a tense international crisis here. <laughs> and what happened then, young lady? Well, I didn't agree with him. I called him, and, uh... Yes, you did. <laughs> 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 well, well where, where were you sitting from him? Oh, I was sitting in front of him. He was sitting just behind me, the and seat you, behind. Yes, and you turned around? Yes, and told him to be quiet, and yes. he wasn't to make a noise. Yes. And uh, we argued right the way through the picture. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody saw any more of the picture. They were no, that's right. We had a fight. <laughs> that was well. And when we came out, he uh, said, would I like to finish the argument someplace else? And I said, why, sure. <laughs> John, you're a most original man. What you, what, you took up this invitation to, to uh, finish the fight, and where did you go? We went to a local pub. <laughs> For your information, those are the... Uh, Never mind. Those are very, very pleasant places to while away an evening, I'll say, in England. <laughs> and you've sat down to finish the argument. That's right. And did you convince him, Edna? No, I still haven't convinced him. I've been trying ever since. <laughs> and, uh, John, have you convinced her? Nope. <laughs> well, I think it's a good thing they're getting married. They'll have time to see this thing through. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Well, then, after you left the pub that night, neither of you were convinced, but you were both pretty happy and all. What happened then? Where did you go? Oh, I went home. He took you home? Oh, no, he... I, um, catch a train out of London to a go tube? home. No, an electric train. Yes. And, uh, he said, would I meet him the next day? And I said, well, I don't know. I'll think about it. <laughs> but you had a little missionary work to do on behalf of General Montgomery. <laughs> That's right. Naturally. <laughs> get to the bottom of this subject. <laughs> oh, fine. <clears throat> So you did meet him, though? Yes, I met him the next day, and we went to the movies again. This time he was a good boy. <laughs> Use that word. <laughs> wonder what caused that change in 24 hours. And uh, did you have many more dates with him? Oh, yes, I had. Well, he was only home on 48 hours leave in London. He was on Oh, 48. so you saw him these two days. That's and then... right. And he went back to the base, and then he started to write letters to me, and we've been going out ever since that. That's a swell story. Uh, miss, I don't know whether they... You don't even have to answer this, and I don't want to embarrass you, but uh, you can more or less tell here when two young people are very much attracted because, I don't know, sometimes a young man gets amorous and tries to kiss a young lady. 
What I was curious about is... Did, uh... Well, I am curious. <laughs> was, uh, was, I was just wondering, when did John first try to kiss you? Oh, we were down at the railway station the first night. Yes. <laughs> well, that settles that. <laughs> and, uh, and, and tell me, uh, uh, like most of these bold yank boys over there, did he succeed or didn't he? Well, yes. Wouldn't you let him? <laughs> well, Edna, Edna, frankly, I can truthfully say that I wouldn't, but I don't think I should be the criteria. <laughs> oh, this is wonderful. Well, tell me, uh, in these letters, now, when did he get around to proposing to you? Oh, um, it must have been about June. When, when did you first meet him? How? What month? Uh, March the 9th. In March, and it took about three months for him to get around to proposing. That's right. John, again, you don't have to answer this, but I wish you, if you can remember exactly, I'd like you to tell me where you proposed the young lady and what you were doing and so on. Uh, I don't remember exactly what I said, but we were uh, sitting in the park, I believe. <laughs> yes, uh, what, which park? St. James's Park, Oh, yes, it? yes, I know where that is. And uh, you, what, on a bench there? And... No, no, we were no. sitting on the grass. Yes. <laughs> Well, that's getting down to earth about things. <laughs> and, uh, did, did you have your arm around or anything like oh, that? Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. What a wonderful couple. <laughs> you're, you're more fun than a picnic. And uh, you, you remember, of course, what he said, don't you? Well, no, I can't, think, I can't say that I do. No, I mean, not exactly, but no. just roughly. Oh, he started to tell me about his home and about California, and I realized he was getting pretty serious, and then he said, uh, do you think you could marry me and come home? Well, I said, why, sure, if that's what you want. <laughs> why, sure, if that's what you want. <laughs> well, no, you, you two are wonderful. Well, that's as far as we want to go. We don't want to hold up your wedding any longer. But um, we have for you your bride's bouquet, designed especially for you by Mr. John Patrick Burke, our floral artist of Beverly Hills. As you can see, it's a beautiful shower effect of white sweet peas and white tulips with a removable corsage of red camellias tied with a white satin ribbon, designed especially to match the bride's uh, wedding dress. The bridesmaid bouquet is an arm arrangement of lavender sweet peas and pale pink carnations with a pale pink satin bow designed to match the bridesmaid's bouquet. And your name is, please? Pauline Anderson. Miss or Mrs.? Mrs. Mrs.? How long have you been married? About nine years. I see. And uh, are you an old friend of the bride or the groom's? Oh, uh, groom was my brother. Oh, I see. <laughs> Do you wholeheartedly approve of what he's doing? Exceedingly. Oh, I think she's a lovely girl. I know they're going to be very happy. And I hope they settle that argument about Montgomery. <laughs> Well, it's awful to have one subject all your life while you're married. You should be able to argue about several things. And your name, sir? Hey, I've, see, I've seen you somewhere before. That's possible. Yes. <laughs> you're Peter Cookson. That's right. Oh, the movie actor. <laughs> well, for heaven's sakes, Peter. Yes, looks like you've got some <laughs> See, if I'm not too curious, let me ask, what are you doing at a wedding? Well, I wanted to come down here to see that you did right by Edna. Oh, I'm, I promise you we will. And I'm, I assure you that if we didn't, she's quite capable of taking care of herself. <laughs> no, I believe it. I, I mean that as a compliment. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Peter, it's very nice to see you. What, what, are you. what are your picture activities and so on? Well, I just finished the picture named uh, Don't Gamble with Strangers. Yes. And... <laughs> <laughs> uh, and before that, another picture called Fear. Fear. Fear Don't Gamble with Strangers. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, tell me, are you married, Peter? Yes, I am. Uh, how long have you been married? Well, I've got a little girl seven and a boy three, so... That gives me a rough idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me something. Do you, uh, do you and your wife ever get on a topic like this General Montgomery and can't get off it? 
Well, we've never argued about Montgomery, but... Uh, <laughs> you know, there are plenty of other topics, yes. <laughs> well, Peter, uh, you're the best man, so I have the bride's wedding ring for you. I'd like to show it here while we still have time. This is the wedding ring selected from Brock and Company of Beverly Hills in Los Angeles, who are world famous for the fine diamonds and the exquisite beauty of their jewelry. This is designed especially for bride and groom, and it's lovely. It has five perfect blue-white diamonds and a unique gold mounting. And, uh, Peter, will you put that in your pocket, please? Oh, I, I'd forgotten it twice. <laughs> Who, uh, are you good at describing the bride's outfits? Excuse me, Tommy. Oh, it's lovely. It is. Isn't it? She's so beautiful, I really can't tell you how. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's see. Who, who can describe it? I'm kind of stuck. Can you describe it? Well, I don't believe I can, really. Uh, she has a uh, white satin with the white uh, uh, towel over it, and uh, she has the uh, veiling. Yes. At the... Uh, um, floor-length veiling, yes. and she really makes a beautiful picture. Doesn't she? What's your name? Uh, Mrs. Walter Gregory. Thank you, Mrs. Gregory. That's a wonderful description. Say, uh, tell me something, Edna, if I may. Uh, you know we have traditions on weddings, like, and your country's great for respecting traditions. Yes. You have on something old? Yes, my, my ring. Yes, and uh, you have on something new? Yes, my dress. Yes, and something borrowed? Yes, my veil. Yes, and uh, something blue? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, as I was saying about traditions... <clears throat> <laughs> Edna, I know you won't mind, but would you mind putting on our blue gay garter? Well, the girls, come on up. Come on up. Yeah, sit up here. Peter, will you help out? What a what a grand sport you are. Do you have a penny? Do you have a penny in your yes, shoe? Yes, I have a penny. Penny in your shoe. Yes. Um, so there's one more thing I'd like to say. This uh, fellow shooting pictures is Tommy from Sergius Alberts, the famous society photographer and photographer of the stars, who each day presents our bride and groom this beautiful leather, gold-embossed uh, photographic album, satin moray lined with four or five formal portraits of the wedding, as you can see, very beautiful, and many, many candid shots like this of the program, so the bride and groom will have something 50 years or 10, 20 years from today and see exactly how they looked and what a wonderful time they had on this very important day. Well, that's all I have to ask you except the name of the song you'd like sung. Oh, um... Do you remember? No, I don't. Huh? <laughs> a little bit nervous? Well, it, it, I, I'll tell you what, what Jack has rehearsed. Yes, uh, Jack, Jack rehearsed, I'll follow my secret heart. I assume that's what you asked me. It's no account. Hmm? It's no account. Yes, I'd rather gather that. It's an English song. I'd rather have some... You won't argue about that with No, you. I won't. All right. <laughs> well, now as our bride and groom go down the aisle and out to the beautiful chapel where they'll be married in privacy with only their friends and invited guests in attendance, Jack McElroy will sing the song of their choice, I'll Follow My Secret Heart.
Aren't they a wonderful couple? <laughs> that, that girl is just, she's just scintillating. I don't know who's going to win that argument, but I'll bet it's going to be a dilly of a breakfast table conversation, Robert. <laughs> oh, but she's so lovely. He's such a handsome young fellow. Uh, say, uh, you were you're the lady who described Mrs. Gregory? Yes, I am. Uh, describe that bride's outfit. Uh, I think that's a very good job. How long have you been married? Oh, I've been married four years this last time. been married twice. Yes, oh, well, uh, then, uh, but I mean, uh, describing bride's outfits and all, why, that just kind of comes natural to you? Well, I'd never done it before. Yes, but uh, you could make a career of that sort of thing, you know. <laughs> well, I'll have, I sure will have to take that up. Well, I think that's as well. I, I just wanted to thank you because uh, every day, if, if I don't describe the bride's outfit, oh, we hear all about it. Hey, here's some more people I'd like to meet, and uh, I think you'd like to know them, too. Two, four, six, eight of you. And your name is, please? Jay Wagner. Uh, and this is Mrs. Wagner? Yes. Where was your home, Mr. Wagner? My home recently was in Chicago. And yours? Uh, in Freeport, Illinois. Oh, and you got I was born in New York, huh? Oh, I see. Well, you've been around. Do you have a, How many children do you have? We have two. Any grandchildren? We have uh, six. Yes, uh-huh. And how long have you been married? We've been married 52 years today. 52 years today. Now, hold on. Now, there's some more coming. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, wait. There's, there's more coming. And your name is? Mrs. Wade. Mrs. Wade? And you're Mr. Wade? J.W. Wade. And where's your home, Mr. Wade? Orange, California. And before that? Tennessee and Arkansas. And your home there, too? Arkansas, yes. yes. Uh, do you have many children? I have four. And grandchildren? Six, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> Can't keep count up. <laughs> one great grandchild. And, and how long have you been married, sir? Fifty-two years today, and it's on Thursday. Fifty-one. Fifty-one today, and, and fifty-two. Is, and it was on the Thursday. On Thursday. That's good. And you're, sir, you are, sir? Pardon? Your, your name is? J.E. Hendricks. Mr. Hendricks? And this Mrs. Hendricks? Yes. Where's your home, Mrs. Hendricks? San Bernardino. Uh, and before that, where did you live? Before you Texas. Came, before you came to California? But um, my native state is Tennessee. Yes. And yours, Mr. Hendricks? Born raised in Texas. I see. And how many children do you have, Mrs. Hendricks? I have six. Any grandchildren? Yes, I have uh, 11. Any great-grandchildren? Yes, I have 10. Oh! <laughs> Goodness, you really do things up well. And, and how, <laughs> how long have you been married? Fifty-three years today. Oh, gee, this is wonderful. And you? Mrs. Gold. Mrs. Gold, you're Mr. Gold? Where was your home, Mr. Gold? Los Angeles. Yes, but before that, where did you In live? In St. Paul, we got married. And then you came out here? Yes, sir. How many children do you have, Mrs. Gold? Uh, uh, three. Three, and grandchildren? Five. And great-grandchildren? One. Oh, well, you're still in there. And how, how long have you been married? Fifty-five today. Fifty-five years today. Do you realize that here are 211 years of happy married life? <laughs> Believe me, that, that is really something. Well, in addition to wanting you to kind of help out celebrating your anniversary today, we'd like to, if you don't mind, just kind of go back in your mind and start thinking of the little things, the little points that kept you from arguing about General Montgomery or whatever it was. <laughs> I mean, the little things that helped you out in your married life to keep the, the, the happy disposition and all, to, to be so happy. How about it, Ms. Mrs. Wagner? Well, we uh, met when we were 10 years old. I was 10, he was 16. And you were school day sweethearts? Yeah, we met on the ice. We were skating. Oh. <laughs> the girl said to me... Uh, I wish Boss Wagner would come. And I said, who's that? She said, well, oh, don't you know him? I said, no. She said, well, when he comes, I'll call you. So he was coming across the ice. And uh, I looked at him and I said, boy, I don't like him. <laughs> That's a fine way to get acquainted. Just... Why, what was the matter? I said, well, he's got red hair. <laughs> and he has as many freckles. I don't know who are you, are you, Is your name Boss Wagner? That's what they used to call me. But do they call you that anymore? No. No, do they call her Boss Wagner? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I just, I just wonder. Well, how, how about that? That was Mr. Mr. Wade. What could you have to say about being happily married? Well, whenever she gets mad, I just get up and walk off. <laughs> Believe me, that that's showing wisdom as well as valor. 
Mrs. Wade, how about that? Well, I reckon what he said is all right. Yes. <laughs> well, how about you? What do you, what do you, what do you do when he gets mad? Well, I just have to do the best I can. <laughs> well, I, if he leaves when, he, when you get mad, that's probably pretty good. And Mrs. Hendricks, what about you? Well, when he gets mad, well, I get him a nice meal. Feel your stomach. That's the best way to keep a man uh, yeah, yeah, happy. It's, it's pretty hard to be grouchy if you've got a full tummy and feel pretty satisfied. Is that right, Mr. Hendricks? What do I do? Uh, when, when she feeds you well, whenever you get mad, why, you just kind of don't lose your temper anymore, huh? Oh, it, it leaves me then. <laughs> Well, what would you have to say was the, the main factor in your being happily married for all these years? Uh, we have uh, made our life a 50-50 proposition. All the way through? All the way through. Well, that's about the way it should be. How, how about you? Uh, that was Mrs... Uh, Mrs. Gold. Mrs. Gold, that's right. Well, I was in business with my husband, and we had plenty to do without argument. <laughs> were you were partners before you were married? No, right. I Afterwards. couldn't be. I was only a little else, over 14 when I got oh, married. I see. I well, how'd you, how'd you happen to take your wife in business, Mr. Gold? Well, uh, I came over here he was from a Romanian. Uh, from Romania? And I was a foreigner from there. Yes. And uh, she could talk a little bit better English. So? <laughs> than I can. So she was outside and I was in the shop. I see. You, you ran the back then. You ran the front. Yes, what, sir. Was the partnership a successful? Very or? successful. Well, that's good. I'm very happy about it. Well, listen, the, all of you folks, all of you have reached 52, 51, 53, and 55 years anniversaries today. Gee, that's wonderful. And we kind of would like to help you celebrate, so we're going to present each of you a gift in gold, each of you beautiful ladies here, and a, a beautiful 17-jewel, very thin Gruen watch. America's Precision Watch, a product of the Gruen Watch Company. They're lovely gifts, believe me. I, th I think this will help out. You ladies have it. And uh, will you, all of you can be sure and come back on your next anniversary. Will you please? Thanks for being with us today. Coming back from the chapel now, married less than one minute, as husband and wife, our very beautiful young bride, her very handsome groom. You look happy. We are. <laughs> oh, no wonder. <coughs> Hope they get this Montgomery thing settled before we get off the air. <laughs> well, because you've been married now, it's time for wedding presents, and number one in our wedding presents is always from Gorham. For over a hundred years, America's aristocrat of silver. Each day, our bride and groom have their choice of this beautiful sterling, their choice of one of five of Gorham's many exquisite patterns. Do you remember which pattern you chose? Uh, yes, Lyric. Lyric? Well, let's see. Have we got Lyric up here? Yes, here it is. Here is really a beautiful pattern. Exquisite simplicity, beauty of line, absolutely magnificent, uh, fit to grace the table of a queen. And, uh, like, well, like everything of Gorham's, it's the very best. Now, about the honeymoon department. John, do you have anything to say about honeymoon? Uh, yes, I'd like to go down and corner out if it's possible. Sure. I, I think it could be arranged. Uh, any special reason? Well, yes, I'd like to show her the beaches and things. Of California, they've yeah. been talking about in that same... He certainly St. has. St. James Park. <laughs> <laughs> well, right after the broadcast, they're going out to the airport where they'll be met by Paul Mance, America's foremost honeymoon flyer, who has his charter service and airline, and operates our bride and groom honeymoon specials. And they're going to take off from Lockheed Air Terminal here and fly to Lindbergh Field, San Diego, for a tanner gray line limousine with a uh, uniform chauffeur will be waiting to drive them across Glorietta Bay to beautiful and distinctive Del Coronado Hotel, where they will have a full week's prepaid honeymoon. Believe me, it'll be wonderful. After the experience of the two in England during the war, they'll really have a, a restful, romantic place for the honeymoon. And Coronado is that place, located on an island in San Diego Bay. The hotel has served as host to distinguished guests for over half a century. And believe me, there are all sorts of activities if you like, or or anything you'd like to do there, everything, outdoor swimming, pools, and beaches and all, and your 
Host for a week's stay will be associate manager Vincent, Vincent Burns. Does that, that sound all right? It sounds swell. <clears throat> sounds like Del Coronado to me. That's one of a place, but I think they'd be happy anywhere, but particularly there. So, by the way, from Tabac of California, every day, Tabac, one of America's foremost fashion houses, presents our bride a letter to take to Saks Fifth Avenue, uh, one of this world-famous store, to select a completely coordinated honeymoon outfit. Miss, this is Miss Kay Scott. She's a starlet at Paramount Pictures. Uh, was in uh, Miss Susie Slagle's. That's Veronica Lake's picture, isn't it? Yes, and she, this, she'll show you, uh, honey, this is, this is a coordinated outfit designed by Stella around one fashion group. What is this? This is a... Three-piece ensemble with yes. clam diggers, wrap-around yes. skirts, yes. and midriff. And there are other pieces. Yes, there are. I think there are nine all together, making up into 20 different oh, costumes. Oh, how wonderful. And you look very, it'd be very becoming on you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Scott. Well, you, should, you should carry the rest of those things. <laughs> Looks very nice on you, too, Miss Scott. <laughs> and um, here's a gift for you, uh, John. I know you'll want pictures to remember your honeymoon by. So from Argus, America's foremost camera maker, and Argoflex, the finest camera in America, and really something beautiful. You'll have wonderful pictures. Here's from Postal Film of Hollywood, a year's supply of their sensational new Postal Chrome film. One more gift for the bride and groom. How much time we have there? Only one minute. Will you single gals get up here? We've got to toss our bouquet here. <laughs> for the bride from Max Factor of Hollywood, a magnificent makeup kit exactly as created for the stars. A beautiful leather kit filled with Max Factor pancake makeup and all the essentials of true color harmony. You single ladies get up here because we're going to have to hurry and toss the bouquet. Say, uh, let me ask you something. Would you mind giving your bride a little kiss? I think we might be able to get a picture of it here. Right. If we can't get a picture of it, I'll hold this. Never mind the camera. <laughs> Go to it. As I was saying, would you Where mind kissing your bride? <laughs> 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 well, there's one more thing. You know John is traditional for the best man. I'm everybody's best man. Do I get to kiss the bride? Well, uh, okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we got to go. Hang on, uh, Miss. Uh, we'll, we'll be right back. Just like, right now, it's time to say good luck to our lovely young bride and her very handsome groom as they go on their honeymoon and to young lovers all over the world. See, uh, goodbye for now. We'll see you all tomorrow. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We've just heard a 1946 episode of Bride and Groom which ran for five years from 1945 to 1950. Only two complete episodes have come down to us, and this was one of them. Now, stay tuned for a 1944 episode of The Whistler, entitled Married to Murder. And I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales, many secrets hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. Another strange tale by The Whistler. Tonight, the story of a wild night on foggy seal rocks and the girl who was married to murder. And now, The Whistler.
In the night, the convoys form, ship by ship, slipping into line, moving out past the Golden Gate, past the fog-enshrouded seal rocks in a cold dawn, past rocks where the tourists go, where the lovers go. You heard a scream? Yes. But the ships are not disturbed. They move on out into the Pacific, leaving far behind the body of a girl lying face down on the rocks, their wash reaching for her hair. Just a girl who fell off a cliff, fell, or was pushed. The finding of a girl's body on rocks creates hardly a stir in the bustle of the city the next day. A brief item in the afternoon papers, a call for the coroner, another entry in the police records. There are only a few people who notice. If we were to look for them, we might find them down on Montgomery Street in a dirty little bar where artists and would-be artists and slummers hang out. Yes, there are a lot of people here who might know something about a body twisted on the rocks. For instance, that blonde giant at the end of the bar sitting with his head in his hands, or the girl walking up to him now, sliding into the seat beside him. Rick. Rick, I thought I'd better tell you, they're looking for you. Huh? Oh, hello, Cassie. Who's looking for me? You know who. The police. They're asking questions about Maureen. They know you knew her. So what? Why should they ask me questions about her? Women like her have jumped off cliffs before. Don't try to kid me, Rick. Remember, I'm Cassie, Maureen's roommate. I knew her better than even you did. Yeah, I guess you did. Maybe I never really knew her very well. Well enough to break her heart. Maybe well enough to want to get rid of her. What are you talking about? You needn't pretend with me, Rick. Maureen had no secrets with me. She told me everything. And I told the police. I had to, Rick. They kept pumping me. I had to. What did you tell them, Cassie? I told them that you loved her once, that another woman had taken her place, a society dame gone bohemian. A blonde and beautiful heiress looking for a thrill by flirting with a poor, struggling artist in a turtleneck sweater. That's enough, Cassie. Leave Sally out of this. Ah, she's in it up to the neck. Maureen was too good to take a back seat to any Miss Money I said leave her out of it. Okay. Okay. Only one more thing. I told the police about last night. What do you mean? You and Maureen had a quarrel last night, just a few hours before she died. Yeah. Okay, so we quarreled. That doesn't mean she had to go jump in the ocean, does it? No, it doesn't. I'm pretty sure of that. That's what I told the detective. You throw your accusations of murder around pretty freely, don't you, Cassie? No, not usually, Rick, but I like Maureen. She was more than a fine sculptress. She was a swell person. She was just about the best of this bohemian melting pot down here, and I don't like to think of her being pushed off that cliff. Just remember that I'll do anything I can to help them get to the truth of this. I'll remember, Cassie. Yeah, I guess you will. Okay, Rick. Better get your answers ready, because if I'm not mistaken, that dick who just walked in is looking for you. Yes, Rick, he's looking for you. You know that. You've been expecting it. You've been curious to see what he'll look like, what expression he'll have on his face. In a minute, you'll know, so gulp down that drink. There, that's better. And there he is. You can see his face sliding into the spot in the mirror where Cassie was a minute ago. You were Carlson? That's right. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Yeah, I know. Okay, go ahead. It's about Maureen. That's right. You knew her pretty well? Of course, you know I did. She was in love with me. I didn't love her anymore. I took her to dinner last night. We quarreled. She left. That's all I know. 
What about Miss Blair? What's she got to do with this? I don't know. Maybe you lie. Sally had nothing to do with it. She didn't even know Maureen. Leave her out of it. I'm not sure we can. This Maureen, they tell me, was a jealous girl, unpredictable. Well, able to do a lot of things, say a lot of things. Blairs are a fine family, good name. They wouldn't like their daughter mixed up with a... Go ahead, say it. A bohemian crowd of artists? Maybe you didn't want Maureen to go to the Blairs with the story. And it'd be so easy to keep her quiet, just to shove at the right time. <laughs> Simple in the fog out there. Simple and sure. Listen, you, whoever you are. Okay, okay, take it easy. I was only guessing. But it all fits pretty well, doesn't it? It fits, only I wasn't there. Oh, that's right. You said she left you after the quarrel. Where was that? At a little fish restaurant at the beach. Near the rocks? Not very far. I see. But you didn't go with her to the rocks? No. Then you might have to prove that. I suppose you can? Yes, he can. Go on, Rick. Tell him it's all right. You needn't worry about dragging me into it. Tell him you were with me. Sally. Oh, this is Miss Blair, I presume. That's right. And you see, officer, you're on the wrong track if you're suspecting Rick. He couldn't have pushed Marine off the cliff because he was with me last night, from 10 o'clock on. You see, Rick's painting a portrait of me, and we worked through most of the night. It was after dawn when we stopped. I see. Okay, I guess I was wrong. Thanks for your time. You're a lucky man, Olson. And I guess you know that. Yes, yes, I know. Goodbye. Goodbye. Well, aren't you going to invite me to have a drink? I'm simply burning with thirst, and your glass is empty. Good. Let's have two old-fashioned... Sally. What, darling? Don't you want another one? Sally. What, Rick? What is it? You look so upset. Oh, of course, how thoughtless of me. Naturally, you're upset about Maureen. Wasn't it dreadful? And then, you were very friendly with her at one time, weren't you? Uh, before you met me, of course. Sally, why did you do it? What, dear? Tell him you were with me last night. Oh, that. Well, after all, you're the man I love, and naturally I'd hardly want anything to happen to you that would take you away from me. Just because you couldn't prove where you were. Thanks, Sally. It's all right, Rick, darling. Let's just forget it now. It's all over. No, Sally, that's just what I'm afraid of. It's probably not over. They won't give up so easily. Now you'll be dragged into it. I don't want that. It's all right, Rick. I don't mind. It might even be fun. Yes, an investigation right here in our own group. All our secret lives exposed. And nothing can happen to you. You were with me. I mean that much to you. Oh, after all, you're the man I'm going to marry. Sally, you mean... You mean you really will? Of course. I intended to all along, didn't you know? And after all, a girl can't say yes too quickly, can she? Oh, Sally! <laughs> no, but darling, think this marine business may be messy, a scandal in the papers. What about your family? Oh, never mind about them. I'm determined to marry you, Rick, especially now. And nothing, nobody can stop me. Don't worry, darling, about me. I think it's going to be thrilling. Thrilling? Everything's thrilling to you, isn't it? Yes, because I live that way. I couldn't stand it just living like most people without any excitement or danger. What's the good of living if you can't have any fun? No, of course not, darling, of course not. And when this mess is over and forgotten, I'll make you happy. Very happy. Oh, yes, Rick, I'm sure you will. When it's over. When it's over. But it's not over yet, Sally. In spite of your loyal attempt to save Rick, he's not quite safe yet. 
Some people are so suspicious. Some people aren't yet convinced of his innocence. Yes, there's going to be a trial for murder, the murder of Maureen. The date has been set, and as the district attorney prepares his case, he finds that each way he turns is a barrier, one barrier between him and conviction, Sally. Oh, good afternoon, Miss Blair. Sit down. Thank you. I called you in because I just wanted just a few words with you before the trial. All right, I'm here. What is it? Miss Blair, I'm going to be very frank with you. All the evidence in the Morrison girls' case points to the guilt of Richard Olson. The coroner's jury believed him guilty, I believe him guilty. Any jury in the world would convict him on the evidence, except for one thing, your word. Yes, I know he's innocent because he was with me. That's your story. You don't believe me? That's beside the point. It's my job to convict Richard Olson if he's guilty. I'll try to do that. But I said I would be frank. I haven't a chance if you testify that you were with him. The jury will take the word of Miss Sally Blair, the daughter of a powerful and famous family. Yes, of course. But it's for that very reason, Miss Blair, that I ask you to stop and think a moment. Think of what? Of yourself, of your family, of your position. If it should turn out later that Richard Olson was indeed guilty, could you forgive yourself for having aided a murderer? But he's not guilty. He was with me. Perhaps you haven't heard that Richard Olson and I are going to be married. Married? Yes, as soon as this farce is over. So you see, Mr. District Attorney, you're wasting your time. I see. And you think that you, the daughter of one of the best families in San Francisco, will be happy living the rest of your life with a murderer? Crime has to be proved. Rick will be acquitted. Yes, I guess he will. And so, Miss Blair, you will go that far for another thrill. I don't know what you mean. I'm marrying the man I love. He's accused of a crime of which I know he's innocent. I will testify to that effect. Rick was with me. Very well, Miss Blair. And may I wish you a very happy married life? And so, Rick, you're going free, thanks to Sally and her testimony. And when the trial is dismissed and you're free, you'll take her to that dirty little bar that was your rendezvous. And you'll tell her about all the things in your heart. You don't know what it is, Sally, to be free. You know, I used to sit in that cell and think about you and your portrait. Wonder if I'd ever see you again. I wondered if I'd ever finish my picture of you so that everybody could see your beauty. Darling, it'll be a great portrait. Really great. Of course it will, darling. After we're married, you'll have all the time in the world to paint it. Yes. Yes, after we're married next week. Darling... Let's go down and get the license right now. Wait. Rick, just one thing. You do love me, don't you? You know I do. More than you did, Maureen? Much, much more. I just wanted to be sure. Rick. Yes? Rick, why did you do it? What? Why did you kill her? Sally. Oh, don't look so startled. I knew all along. I just wondered why you did it. Let's not talk about it. Let's leave it as dead as Maureen is. Let's be happy and not talk about it ever. Or maybe you'd rather not go through with this now. Of course, darling. I made my choice. You love me, I love you. That's enough. We'll both forget, Maureen. If we can. You are listening to the Signal Oil Program. Let every go signal remind you that you do go farther with signal gasoline.
And so Rick, acquitted of murder, and Sally, who saved his life even though she knew he was guilty, were married. Not a very happy start for a marriage, was it, Rick? It somehow changed things to know that Sally knew. But then it was only Sally. Charming, beautiful Sally, who got a thrill out of life. After all, she wouldn't have saved you, wouldn't have married you if she hadn't loved you, would she? Sally, hurry, come see. What, dear? The portrait, I've finished it, it's wonderful, come and see it. Just a minute, I'm doing my hair. But aren't you excited? Of course, darling, can't you wait? No. Oh, all right, Rembrandt, where is it? Don't joke, sweet, this is my masterpiece, cast not upon it a jaundiced eye. Uh, it's very good, Rick. I think it will sell. Sell by Jupiter. The woman's a commercial money grabber. Sell nothing. It'll be famous. You really think so? I'm glad. It's a great painting, Sally, because you're in every line of it. You and my love for you. That's very sweet of you, Rick. You're so cool. Why? Well, I, I thought you said the portrait was of me. Yes, and so a composite of all the loveliness of the world. Rick, I don't have green eyes. Neither does the... <laughs> so she does. Do you know I didn't realize it? I meant to make them blue. And my nose doesn't turn up like that. I'm not complaining, you understand. If someone No, else... don't start that again, please. Rick, are you really happy with me? My gosh, what a question. Oh, but you never go out. You just sit here night after night and brood. I like to stay home. Rick, are you in love with a girl with green eyes? Don't be silly. I love only you, and you know it. Besides, you yourself say I haven't left this studio in weeks. A fine, clandestine love affair, that is. Let me see the picture again, huh? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Didn't Maureen's nose turn up that way? And if I remember, her eyes were green, just that shade of green. Is your conscience bothering you, Rick? Shut up. We weren't going to talk about it. Why don't you want to talk about her? What are you so afraid of? Does she haunt stop you? Stop being jealous of a corpse, Sally. Can't you stop hating her now that she's dead? I'm not jealous, Rick. And it was never Maureen I hated, never. That has a chilling sound. What are you driving at? Or is that what killing someone does? Does it make you fall in love with them? <laughs> let, let go of me, Rick. Don't hurt me. I'm your wife, remember? You don't have to be afraid of me. You know that, don't you? I'm not sure. You're so afraid. I thought it would be exciting being married to a murderer. That we'd have a deadly secret to share as no one else could. But it's dull. We can't do this, and I can't say that, because you're afraid. You'd like to hate me, but you don't even dare do that. Loving me is all that keeps you together. It's dull, Rick. I imagine that you'll manage to find some amusement. <laughs> I imagine I will, sooner or later. <laughs> Is being married to a murderer beginning to bore you? But as Rick says, I imagine you'll find some amusement, even if it's only with Tommy Melvin. I need a drink. Come on, Tommy. Buy me one. Oh, where's Rick? Oh, he's at an art dealer's. He'll be along. You know, sometimes I think he loves that painting better than me. <laughs> Let's have zombies, huh? Oh, that's pretty strong. I like strong things, exciting things. <laughs> You're bored, aren't you? A little. You're not very happy with Rick, are you? Not very. It was none of my business, of course, but uh, why did you marry him? <laughs> He's hardly your type. <laughs> Marrying Rick was the biggest thrill I've ever had. You'd do anything for a thrill, wouldn't you? <laughs> I like that. I bore easily, Tommy, and I don't like being bored. 
I want to feel everything I can, every emotion, every experience I can crowd into my life, good and evil. You're without conscience, Sally. You could do anything and not look back. <laughs> I like that, too. Thanks. But I don't quite see you're marrying Rick in that light. I didn't think you would. You could leave him, you know. I'm going to New York next week, and you could come along, Sally. I'd like to have you. Thanks, Tommy. You're sweet. It might be fun. Give me some time to think it over. I'll let you know. Tomorrow? All right. Here comes Rick. You better leave. Oh, oh, Tommy, here's a nickel. Drop it in the jukebox, will you? Number 17. Sure. You won't forget, Sally. No, no. I'll call you in the morning. Hello, darling. I've been waiting for so you. So I see. But not alone. Rick, you're not jealous of Tommy. No, no, I guess not. Ah, you have a drink? No. Sally, listen, I've got to talk to you. We've got to come to some understanding. I found my painting on the back porch this morning. The fog might have ruined it. That painting is great. It will hang in the Metropolitan. It's more important than my life, Sally. Remember that. I'm sorry. You're so morose lately, dear. What's wrong? I don't like it, Sally. What? I don't see you anymore. You're never home. You're always here or out with that Tommy Melvin. And when we are together, you ask questions like, how does the tide sound at two in the morning? Or you wonder what that murderer in San Mateo feels, and you watch me when we pass Marine's old apartment house. When I hear a police siren in the street, you watch me. You watch me and watch me. I don't like it. How suspicious you are. I'm not kidding, Sally. I've walked around and around the streets, making up my mind, and now I'm determined to say it out. You married me for the thrill of marrying a murderer, nothing more, isn't that true? Hold your voice down. Rick, I think you're afraid of me. Maybe I am. You needn't worry. I won't tell the police. I'm your wife, remember? That's not what I'm afraid of. What, then? Perhaps you'd like to push me off a cliff, too, but you can't do it. You love me far too much to hurt me. You're right. Lord, how I wish I didn't. I don't mind. Let's go to dinner, darling. Down at the beach. I want you to take me to that fish place down on the cliff near the rocks, huh? Sally, you know I don't want to go there. Why not? Because you took Marine there that last night? Rick, you must get over that silly fear. Besides, I want to go there. We'll have dinner, and, and then I... I want to take a walk along the beach. I love the sound of the surf at night. Don't you, Rick? There's something strange here, Rick. Something very strange. You sense it, too, as you sit opposite her at dinner. Just like you sat opposite Maureen that night. Only there are things you don't notice... Like those pills she slipped into your coffee cup. And when you leave and start walking down the beach, you aren't really aware of where you are. Sally? Sally, slow up. I can't seem to keep up with you. Come on, dear. We're almost there. I feel sort of strained. I don't understand. Sort of sleepy and tired, huh? Come on, Rick. Here. Here, give me your hand. Huh? There. Now, sit right over here. Where, Sally? Where are we? I... This place seems familiar, but I can't... Of course it's familiar, Rick. Huh? Down below there are the rocks. The rocks? 
Sally, why did you come here? No particular reason. I like the moonlight on the rocks. There's no moonlight. It's foggy. Never mind. I like it here. Uh, I don't. What's the matter, dear? Does your conscience bother you? I thought hardened murderers got over that. Are you afraid, Rick? Uh, I don't know. I can't seem to think. I'm tired, but... I think I'm afraid. Yes. You'd like to push me off, wouldn't you? To see my body on the rocks down there with the tide reaching for my hair as it did for Maureen's. But it won't work twice, Rick. You know that. And besides, you love me too much. Sally, what are you doing? Let's get away from here. Wait, I want to tell you something. Let go of my elbow. I'll tell you first. I'm going to leave you, Rick. I'm going to New York with Tommy Melvin. What? But you won't care, Rick. Because, you see, I'm not going to fall off this cliff tonight, Rick. But you are. You were right. I married you only for the thrill of being married to a murderer. Sally, what are you saying? But that's a thrill that paled very easily. Murder itself will be a much bigger one. Are you crazy? Do you think I'll let you push me you over You can't the... stop me, Rick. You see, you can't even stand up without weaving. You won't be able to lift a finger to stop me. I put your own sleeping powders in your coffee. It's nothing a doctor will turn up, but it's enough. Sally, you can't get away with Why it. Why not, Rick? They'll say your conscience bothered you, that you returned to the scene of your crime and killed yourself. It will be very neat. You weren't a very good killer. I'll be a much better one. No, no, Sally, in God's name, go... Goodbye, my darling. You'll be with your green-eyed love in the water, and I shall be free of you both. Let go of my arm. It was fun, but you were afraid. You won't be afraid anymore, Rick. Sally, <laughs> Sally, stop. <laughs> Sally! Ah, goodbye, Rick. <laughs> But that's not all of this strange story. In a moment, the Whistler will be back to tell you what really happened. And now, back to the Whistler. Yes, Sally got her biggest thrill at last. She gave Rick sleeping powders and pushed him over the cliff. But then something went wrong. For a girl who had committed murder for a thrill, she suddenly lost her nerve. It was only a little light from a Coast Guard boat, but it sent her running along the cliff, slipping, sliding, taking the wrong turns, and finally... <coughs> yes, over she went. They found her body next morning. Rick told them where to look. Yes, Rick. He didn't die. He was only injured on the rocks. It was Sally who died, by her own hand, you might say. But the police didn't see it that way. They didn't know Sally was the girl Rick loved too much to kill. So they said she was pushed. Twice was enough. So Rick was sent upstate for a permanent change of address. Only just before he left, a strange thing happened. The committee from the Metropolitan Museum of Art came to see his painting. They were a little surprised. It was very beautiful. But there had been an accident. Someone had been a little careless with some paint remover. The girl in the picture had no nose. And you couldn't tell if her eyes had been blue or green. Sally might have known. But then the rocks don't tell their secrets. The tide doesn't testify.
produced and directed by George W. Allen, with story by Robert Libet and music by Wilbur Hatch. Is transmitted to our troops overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service. You're listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We've just heard a 1944 episode of The Whistler called Married to Murder.
And we heard Gloria Hart with Art Castle and his orchestra, Let's Get Married, from 1947. This was followed by Wedding Bells, the Columbia Dance Orchestra, in 1923. Thank you, dear friends. This concludes today's show. On behalf of Around the World's staff of researchers, recording engineers, interns, and Victrola technicians, this is Cracklin' Jane. Thank you, and see you next week. <laughs>